are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, I'm pretty excited about today because I really believe that God is going to help us and He's going to speak to us through His Word. So last Sunday at 6 o'clock in the evening, I came back to church for a special mission service where Mashangu Mukalela talked to us about... Um, there are times when Jesus asks us to do things that do not seem to make sense immediately. So, so I'm listening to him say it, and I think to myself, wow. He says there are times when God, Jesus rather, asks us to do things, and in the immediate, it doesn't seem to make sense. So, so I thought about, you know, the fact that Jesus says, if somebody slaps you on your right cheek, here's what you should do. You should turn to him your other cheek. And, and honestly, just hearing that for the first time, I think somebody might say, wait a minute. Did he say, turn the other cheek? Or, or this guy comes up to Jesus who has lots of money. The Bible says that he is rich. Now, if somebody says you're rich, you might be, you might not be. But if the Bible says you're rich, chances are good you're rich, right? And Jesus says to this really rich guy, go sell everything that you have and give it all away to the poor. And you kind of scratch your head and say, wait a minute, do you know how much money he actually has? I mean, sometimes when Jesus says something immediately, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Or when Jesus says, how many of you would like to be first in line? Then, then go stand at the back of the line. Wait, wait, wait a minute, I said I wanted to be at the front of the line, and you're telling me to go to the back of the line? And Mashangu says... With Jesus, it's seldom business as usual. With Jesus, it's almost always business unusual. <laughs> so here's the question, okay? We're talking about big decisions today. You ready? So when I have big decisions to make in my life, am I going to do what seems to make the most sense to me at the time? Or do I trust God's Word regardless. So when I've got a big decision that I've got to make, I've got a question that I've got to answer. And the question that I've got to answer is simply this. Am I going to choose what makes the most sense to me in the moment? Or am I going to trust God's Word regardless? Okay, so today is Family Worship Sunday. That means we have lots of kids in the room. And I would love for every child in the room to jump up Jump, jump up and run down here and kind of gather around me and let me tell you a story, okay? Every child in the room, jump up and run. You're running like I ask you to. Good job. Come on down. Just kind of sit around. You come up as much as you want. Yeah, you can sit right with me. Come on. Here we go. Awesome. I love it. Turn around and face me where you can see me, okay? You got to turn on face me. Can everybody see me? All right. Pop down. Hey, gang. How are y'all? Good. So I want to talk about a guy that we find in the Old Testament. His name is David. So how many of you know what David is like kind of known for? He did something really big in his life, and it kind of made him famous. Do you remember what it is? You can just shout it out. He did what? I can't hear you. 
He killed a giant, and the giant's name was Goliath. And you know what happens when he kills the giant? Because everybody in Israel was so afraid of the giant, he becomes like instantly famous. And so the king says, I'm so glad that you did this. I'm going to give you my daughter in marriage. And so he becomes instantly kind of wealthy too because now he's in the royal family. And people begin to say really great things about him. So here's what they would say. They would say, the king, he has killed thousands. But David, he has killed 10,000. That's right. And so David got all of this, you know, you know, he became famous. Well, the king becomes jealous. And the king says, I don't like this. They like David more than they like me. And so the king decides that he's going to try to take his life. You know how he does it? How? He throws a spear at him. One day, he takes a spear and he throws it at David. You know what David did? He ducked. You're right. And so you know what the king does a second time? He throws a spear at him. You know what David does a second time? He what? He ducked. And so he takes off running because he knows the king is going to kill him. And for years, he runs from the king. And the king hears where he's at, and he goes looking for him, and David runs again. So now here we go. You ready? I'm going to read the next part of the story. Lean in. There you go. (laughs) After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. What desert? In Gaddy, that's right. So Saul took 3,000 young men from all of Israel and he set out to look for David near the crags of the wild goats. Do you remember where the crags of the wild goats is? We don't either, but it was a landmark in that day and they knew where it was, okay? But nobody really knows. So he came to the sheep pen along the way and a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. Do you know what that means? He had to go potty. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible, okay? Saul has to go potty. And so, because he's the king, he's not going to just find a tree. He's the king. And so they find him a cave and they say, okay, go in the cave and do what you've got to do and then come out and we'll go keep looking for David, okay? Now listen to what happens. Guess who is in the cave? Hiding. David is. Did you know that? David is hiding in the same cave that Saul goes into. So here's what it says. It says, David and his men were in the back of the cave. And the men said, David, that's Saul. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And then David crept up. Anybody ever do any crepping? He crept up unnoticed and he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. All right. I know. That's what I said. Afterward, David was conscious stricken. Have you ever been conscious stricken? Just raise your hands. It's like when you felt really bad about something you did. Come on. Did you? Okay. For having cut off the corner of the rope. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay a hand on him. For... He is the anointed of the Lord. One more verse. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave after he finished and went on the way. That's right. 
Okay, so now here's what you got to do. You got to go back to your seats and listen closely to the rest of the sermon. Will you do that? All right. Thanks so much. So what we're doing today is we're coming back to a series that we started in the fall. And the series is called The Path, okay? And, and, and it's based on a book by a guy whose name is Andy Stanley. It's called The Principle of the Path. If you haven't bought the book, if you haven't read it, I would suggest that you do. We're going to cover the next four weeks, chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. Now here's why I want you to read this book so bad. Whether you are 12 years old or whether you are a mature follower of Jesus Christ in your 80s. This book speaks to your everyday life, and I believe that God can use the principles of God's Word found in this book to change your life. And so today we're talking about big decisions. Andy Stanley says, guess what, Jacob Thomason, you have chosen a path in your life, okay? And the path that you have chosen, Jacob Thomason, has a very predictable future. If you stand right now where you are and you look into your future and you think about the path that you've chosen, you can pretty much see where your life is going. So whether that's in the way that you deal with money or whether it's in the way you deal with relationships or whether it's in how you walk with God. And see, here's what's happening. There's people all over the room looking at me right now saying, Pastor, that's right. Because I chose a path regarding finances... And I can look in the future and I can see where this is going to end up, whether it's negative or positive. Or I have chosen a path in my walk with God and I can stand right here and I can see where this is going. I mean, I can see where it ends up because direction determines destination every time. I always end up where the road that I've chosen takes me. So why is it important to talk about the path you choose when it comes to big decisions? Do I do what makes sense right now to me in the moment, or do I trust God's Word and what it says regardless? So let's talk about it. Annette and I moved here. Can you believe it's been almost five years now? Almost five years ago we moved here, and we began to look for a house to buy. And so we found several houses, but one house kind of seemed like it would fit us more than the others. But we were trying to take our time and making a decision. And one time we were on our way home from visiting family in Kentucky and Tennessee. And we got a phone call and the person on the other end of the phone said, I drove by the house today and the sign is no longer there. I wonder if the house sold. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, what if it sold? And Annette and I are driving along and, and we begin to get really long faces. And Annette's saying, Man, I really liked the kitchen of that house. And I'm going, I know. And I really like this part of the house. And I'm going, I know. And all of a sudden, we didn't know it until then. But somehow in the process of trying to buy a house, our hearts had gotten involved. And what we learned in the moment is that we really wanted that house. We called the realtor. The realtor said, no, I think somebody just took the sign down. It's still for sale. And we came home and we bought the house. I'm going to quote Andy Stanley one time today, okay? Here we go. Andy Stanley says in this little book that I wish you would buy and read. He says, 
the environments in which we make decisions are not emotionally neutral. The environments in which you and I make decisions in our lives are not emotionally neutral. When someone recently sat down with me and talked to me about the decision they made to be unfaithful to their spouse, they described a decision-making environment that was highly charged with emotion. You following me? When somebody recently sat down and talked with me about a decision they made to be unfaithful to their spouse, they described to me an environment that was highly emotionally charged. And so what Andy Stanley is trying to say in that little sentence is just simply this, that you and I are making decisions every day, and sometimes we make really big life-changing decisions. And he says, when we are making those really big decisions, the problem is that those decision-making environments are typically highly emotionally charged. And so I watch it play out in my life. There are times, I know I'm the pastor of a church, but there are many times in my life when I go seeking counsel with somebody because I've got a decision to make. And I may go to another pastor, or I may go to, to my district superintendent who is like my pastor, or I might go to a counselor, or I might go to a friend because... I know that what they're going to do is see the whole situation and the decision I'm about to make with no emotions attached. They're not emotionally connected to the decision. And so I go to them and say, you've got to help me think this through because I realize that I'm emotionally connected to the decision. You're not. So think with me objectively because the only way that I can think right now is subjectively. Here's what happens. Those emotions turn into misguided passions. And those misguided passions cloud the scene for me and make it sometimes difficult for me to choose the right path. Okay? Those emotions become misguided passions and those misguided passions cloud things for me and it makes it difficult for me to choose the right path. And and I can't tell you how many times people have stumbled into my office and said to me, Pastor, I have made a very bad decision. And I regret it like crazy. Pastor, you can't imagine how bad I feel about something I've done. I made a bad choice. And what they're saying is that I got caught up in the emotions and I didn't sort through them. Now, just think with me for a minute, okay? Think about David. David is in a cave hiding from a man who is trying to find him to take his life. And now the man is right in front of David. But he doesn't know that David is standing behind him. Do you think this could potentially be a highly charged emotional environment for David? I mean, can you imagine how fast his heart is beating right now? I mean, here's the guy who's hunting him like you would hunt an animal. And he wants to take his life. And David is standing over him with a sword. And all he has to do is just run it through him. But he doesn't do it. Somehow, he sorts through the emotions. 
and he is able to make a logical choice. And I think what we're going to ask of David this morning as we work through this story is, how did you do that? Because we need to understand how to do that when we are in those situations, right? So, let's think about it a little bit. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was performing a wedding ceremony for this couple. And uh, I remember during the ceremony, things just felt off to me. And, and, and I was feeling like that somebody was trying to communicate to me something, but I never could really, you know, you're standing there trying to look like you know what you're doing. And so finally, I get to the part where I say, you may kiss the bride. He kisses her. I say, I present to you, Mr. Miss. They turn around. Everybody's clapping. And she turns around and says to me, you forgot to have my cousin Don sing the Ave Maria. I didn't know what to do. Everybody's already clapping. I said, do you want to just go on and, you know, let him sing at the reception? She nodded, and they walked off the platform, and the whole wedding party leaves. But I get back to the little room where the bridal party is, and usually everybody's high-fiving, and they're laughing. But when I walked in, everybody was kind of seated, kind of like this. And so the wedding coordinator says to me, Pastor Rick, I think we have decided to ask all of the people in the foyer to go back and sit down in the sanctuary. And I think we've decided that the wedding party is going to enter just like they did the first time. And then I think that Don is going to sing the Ave Maria. And then you can pronounce them husband and wife and they can leave again. I felt so bad. I mean, this is their wedding and I messed up the biggest day of their life, you know? And so, I feel bad, and I finally looked at the bride and said, I think when we go back in the room, I should own this, and I should apologize and tell them that this was my mistake. And she says to me, would you? (laughs) And I said, I will. And so, sure enough, we go back out and say, will you go back in and have a seat? Would you go back in? And people are going, really? And I'm going, just go back in and knock it off. Okay, just do it. So people finally get back in the room. And they're all seated. The music starts. The wedding party falls in just like they did the first time. And after everybody is seated, I stand up and I say, you know what? I made a terrible mistake today. Cousin Don has driven all the way from Amarillo, Texas to Cincinnati, Ohio to sing the Ave Maria. And I failed to allow him to do that. And so I don't know if I'm still invited to the reception but he is going to come and sing the song now. Don was a trained voice. I mean, he had the goods. It was awesome. And then after he sings, I stood and said, I pronounce that you are still husband and wife. And everybody clapped and they walked out and it kind of made this memorable wedding memory, but to my expense. Yeah. You know why I did it? Because I believed that it was the right thing to do. Uh, To me, I could have just gotten up and said, uh, there was an error made in the wedding ceremony. Well, that wasn't what happened. I made the error. And, And I really felt strongly that I should say, I messed up. Where do you get the code? How do you know? 
So if it's the right thing to do, where do you get the code that tells you it's the right thing to do? If it's the wrong thing to do, where do you get the code? How do you know? And I think this is what we learn from David, okay? So I'm just going to level with you and tell you that in my mind, when David is standing over Saul, you know, it makes a little sense. He's chasing you. He wants to take your life. One of you are going to die. Right? I mean, let's just call it self-defense. Be honest. This is what it is. He's trying to kill you. I mean, you know what David's men do? They get involved and they say, David, just think with me a minute. What if this is a God thing? I mean, maybe it is. I mean, look at verse 4 again. Here's what they say to him in verse 4. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands to do with him as you wish. I mean, maybe David, God put him here. Maybe this is a God thing, right? And David says, I only have one problem with taking Saul's life. God has an opinion. And He has spoken. And His Word is what guides my life. Look at verse 6 again. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my Master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on Him, for He is the anointed of the Lord. It all goes back to years earlier when Israel says we want a king. And God sends his prophet Samuel. And he says, tomorrow you're going to see a young man. He's a head taller than anybody else in Israel. And he's as handsome as anybody in Israel. He is the king of Israel. And Samuel meets Saul. And before he lets him go back to his father, he says, send your servant away. And so Saul says to his servant, you should go on and leave. And this young man Saul a head taller than anyone else in Israel, as handsome as anyone in Israel. God has called him to be king, gets on his knees in front of the prophet of God. And the prophet of God takes a horn of oil and he pours it on his head and it runs down through his hair and in through his beard and drips onto the ground. And the prophet of God says, Saul, you are the king of of Israel. God has spoken. And David says, God said he's king. And it's not my place to say he is no longer king. Because God has spoken. Rick, what, what are we really talking about this morning? I think we're talking about life. We're talking about all of life. We're talking about money. We're talking about sex. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about every aspect of your life. And the question that we have to ask ourselves when we face major decisions in all of those areas is simply this. Will I do what makes most sense to me in the moment or will I trust the Word of God regardless? That's what we're talking about. Will I do what makes most sense to me in the moment or will I follow God's Word regardless? 
I think, I think there's a simple argument here, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, it gets my attention. There is this thing of, but it's not fair. <laughs> I mean, David's done nothing wrong, and Saul's trying to take his life. It's not fair. And David says, you know what I'm going to do in those next few verses? I'll leave that in God's hands. I'm going to do what's right. I was reading a book uh, recently by uh, Eugene Peterson. Really wrote it to pastors. And in it, he tells the story of going to hear a man speak that he had great respect for. Uh, a writer, a, a novelist, a Jewish man. Um, I'm not great with his name, but it's pronounced something like Chaim Potok. And uh, he said he told the story about wanting to be a writer. And, and before he goes off to college, his mother said to him, I know you want to be a writer, but I have a better plan for you. I, I think that you have the capacity for it. I think you should become a brain surgeon. You can keep a lot of people from dying, and you can make a lot of money. He said, but mother, I want to be a writer. And so he goes off, and he studies writing for a semester. And when he gets a break, he comes home, and his mother says, I, I know you want to be a writer, but, but I think there's a better plan for your life, and you have the capacity for it, and, and, and you should become a brain surgeon because you could save a lot of people from dying and you can make a lot of money. And he said, but mother, I want to be a writer. And he goes back to college for another semester. And he comes home. And this repeats itself semester after semester. I know that you want to be a writer, but I think you should become a brain surgeon. You could help a lot of people not die. And you could, you could make a lot of money. And he says, finally, one time in an emotional outburst, I said to my mother, Mother, I don't want to keep people from dying. I want to show people how to live. Generationally, we think differently. When I grew up, preachers used to talk about dying a lot. And it was effective. I remember as a teenage boy, if I did something wrong, I was afraid I'm going to die. And this is not good with God. And what I've learned as I talk to people who are young today is they don't think about dying. They think more about living. So I seldom hear young people talk about, I'm afraid if I died. It's more, I'm afraid if I live. What, what's my life going to be like? What's the quality of life? So here's something I've never, ever, ever, ever said in my life. Okay, never, ever. I've never said this. I've never said, you know, in this big decision that I had to make, I went with God's Word. And boy, do I regret it. Never. I've never said that. I've never said I had a big decision to make, and, and in that situation, I decided to trust God's Word regardless, and boy, do I wish I hadn't have done that. I mean, I've never, ever, ever said that. I have always said, I'm really glad I went with God on that one. 
See, I believe it's the best possible life. The best possible life. And so years of running from Saul, David finally receives the word that one day Saul is in battle with the Philistines. And he's injured. And so he falls on his own sword and he dies and David becomes the king of Israel. And I can't imagine what he must have felt except, oh, I'm so glad I trusted God's word. I'm so glad I didn't take it into my own hands. I'm so glad I stayed with God on this one. So one day you were confronted with a man whose name was Jesus. You remember that? And he looks into your eyes and he says, follow me. You remember that? You had a big decision to make. Emotionally charged. (laughs) Because I'm dealing with all that I want. And he's telling me to surrender all of that to what he wants. Big decision. And so sitting in front of me are two people who at a very young age have said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I want you guys to stand, and I think we should celebrate the fact that they've made this decision, okay? So, Sadie, I love your name, by the way. Hudson, I'm so proud of you. I want to ask you a couple of questions, okay? Do you now renounce everything that would ever draw you away from the love of Jesus? If so, say, I do. Okay. And now do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept Him as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in His grace and love? If so, say, I do Jesus Christ is Lord. Good. So, with these words, let us as a congregation um, welcome these who are going to be baptized, okay? We receive you into the eternal household of God. Come on. Confess the faith of Christ crucified and proclaim His resurrection. Okay. His eternal priesthood. All right. Now you guys can go and prepare for baptism. Stand and sing with us. Here I am, remembering I was blind, sin had blinded Blood destroyed what stood between.
church, are you excited to bap- do uh, baptism today? Yes. Our first candidate for baptism today is uh, Hudson Michael Thomas Winty, my nephew. I'm excited to get to baptize him today. Come on, Hudson. Come on up here, buddy. Hudson, I've known you since you were uh, a little baby. Watched you grow. And I'm uh, excited that you're taking a step. Been, I know your parents and uh, the family has always prayed for you and loved you, and they're excited about this as well. Been through some great things, some tough things, and God has always been there with you. So I'm excited that you're taking this step today and that I get the honor to do this. I know there's someone very special who uh, is looking down upon us today, and he's very excited about this too. So, Hudson, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now Hudson, receive the grace and healing of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may the power of the Holy Spirit be at work within you, that being born through water in the Spirit, you may be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Everybody say amen. baptism is Sadie Isabella Sanders. Sadie was one of the most determined young women to get baptized. She was cared so much about it. She went to extra lengths to prepare her family and to make sure she could be in the class and I'm super proud of her. So cross your hands Sadie, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Receive the grace and the healing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may the power of this Holy Spirit work within you, that by being born through water and the Spirit, that you may be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. Amen.
receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you in his love and in his grace and in his peace. And may we take that love and we go into all the world and share it with others. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.